Hello and welcome to the first edition of Wellbeing for 2009. Towards the end of 2008, it was noted that there were several incidences of pertussis or whooping cough within the community. With parents being urged to have their babies vaccinated early in life, how has this come about? To discuss with me and to answer more questions about vaccinations of all kinds, I have with me Dr Annette Carruthers and Denise Lyons. Denise is the Immunisation Coordinator and they both work for GP Access here in Newcastle. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. Annette, it's great to see you again. And Denise, a great welcome to you too. Thank you. Why is it so important that we do immunise our children? Well, immunisation provides immunity to, at the moment, 17 different vaccine-preventable diseases in Australia. And immunization works by stimulating the person who is immunized against these vaccines. In other words, they, they create antibodies to different infections, so it prevents them from getting the actual disease. So not only does it protect the individual who gets vaccinated or immunized, It also protects the more vulnerable members of our community, so the very young and the very old and people who are immunocompromised. People who have, for example, under treatment for cancer or have low resistance to infections? That's correct, Iris. Mm. Uh, A lot of people are on chemotherapy these days and uh, they they can become very seriously ill if they come in contact with some of these contagious diseases. Mm. They just don't have the ability to shake them off, do they? That's right. What ages should all these things start? Well, babies get their first immunization when they're in the hospital. So just after birth, they get hepatitis B in hospital. Mm. Um, After that, they are due for their next set, Mm. and they need to see their GP, certainly, by two months of age. And then the next one behind that is... Four months. And the next one? Six months. And that comes in a series of three? Well, there are different... Some of those are repeats of Mm. the same antigens or yeah. vaccines, but other, others of them are for the first time. So there's quite a complicated schedule that New South Wales sets um, and revises when we get new evidence. So it's constantly being reviewed by the top scientists that we have working at state health. Um, but yeah, it is important for people to know that their children are due at, at two months, four months, six months, 12 months, and relatively new, newly, and also at 18 months. Um, and also, again, at four years. What happens if mum takes the baby down and he has the first injection but is running late for the second or the third? Does, does that mean they've got to start again? No, fortunately, we, we just catch up from, from where they've uh, miss, missed out or, or left off. Mm. Uh, so the, the practice will always sit down with people and, and work out a new schedule for them if they've fallen behind. But best practice is obviously to uh, turn up on time. What happens if the child is sick at the time of the uh, vaccination? If it's only a mild viral illness or vaguely unwell, that is no reason to postpone the vaccination. But if the child is acutely unwell with a high fever, it wouldn't hurt to postpone for a few days. So there's no real excuse not to take the child along, except you haven't marked it on the calendar, perhaps. That's right. People have busy lives these days, and unfortunately at times it does slip their mind. A lot of practices will actually send out reminders if, if people are late to, mm. to come along and get the vaccination. So we've got three at two, four, six months. The next one you say, Denise, is at 12 months? That's right, one year. 
that's your, the best birthday present you can give your one-year-old. Get them immunized. Get them protected against those nasty vaccine-preventable diseases. And what do they get at 12 months? They get measles, mumps, and rubella, and uh, haemophilus influenza type B, and meningococcal C. So that's what they get protection against, mm-hmm. all of those. And the one 18 months? Chickenpox. Oh, okay. Yes, that's a relatively new one. So it's yeah. only been on the schedule for four years now, mm. three years. When we were children, we were in bed for a week or two, and, and mum was home. And scratched that's and it. picked the tops off. And that's it. It doesn't have to be so anymore. <laughs> now we've got a vaccine that will prevent children from getting... If somebody's vaccinated against chickenpox, does this also build up their immunity for when they're grown up to have shingles? Actually, the chickenpox, it is the same virus that causes mm. shingles. You're correct there, Iris. Um, and if you, what happens is the, the virus lives dormant in your body. Oh, okay. And so when, often it happens to people who are aged, you know, mm. frail aged, and, and it can reoccur, and it usually reoccurs along a nerve root. So it mm. looks just like the chickenpox, mm. but instead of it being all over their body, it's just... Like in a linear fashion. That's Mm. right. Now, the the chickenpox, it's not known yet because Mm. the chickenpox vaccine is relatively new, whether this will prevent people from getting shingles. Mm. Um, The other thing to note there is there is a vaccine for preventing shingles or also known as herpes zoster that is on the market in Australia now. So if that's something you're interested in, you can ask your GP about it. Oh, okay, so you basically just go to your GP and say, I've heard about this, tell me about it. Yes. Do some children have um, a reaction to the injections? The vast majority of children have, have no reaction whatsoever. Occasionally there'll be some redness around the site of the, of the vaccination mm. and uh, occasionally a very mild fever or, or lethargy that might last a few hours. Our recommendation then is that uh, some paracetamol be taken and... Uh, um, the child observed, obviously, with any serious concerns, mm. um, the child should be presented for, for medical assessment. There is a system these days to actually record any significant adverse reactions, so it, it is important that uh, people talk to their GP if they if they feel there has been an adverse event and uh, the GP can decide whether they need to register it. And that's because there is this continuing surveillance to in- ensure the, the quality of our immunisation system. A long time ago, I know of a couple of people who had their children vaccinated and they set up a really severe reaction and one case where the child was left quite incapacitated. But I guess that the vaccines these days are so much are so much better. So does that prevent any of those occurrences? It's fair to say that there have been some improvements in the technology of uh, vaccine manufacture over the years. But it's also important to bear in mind that uh, it can be a coincidence between the timing of vaccination and an onset of an illness. And it's not always... There's a lot of rumour and innuendo about Mm. potential adverse events from vaccines that, in fact, don't stand up to evidence and when research is, is done. Unfortunately, a lot of damage can be done at that with some of those rumours. Some years ago there was an an issue in Great Britain where there were claims of um, of vaccinations causing possibly autism. And uh, what happened as a result of that was a lot of parents decided not to take their children for vaccination Mm. against measles. And unfortunately there was a measles epidemic and some children actually died from the effects of the measles vaccine. So what it really proved was the immunisation did protect 
the community from yeah. a life threat, potentially life threatening illness. And this was why I brought it up because I'd I'd heard of these sorts of things. Mm. So in actual fact, to have the child vaccinated is very much better than even risking. People should up. feel very confident in the safety of uh, immunisations. Yeah. Uh, a lot of work has been done to ensure that when, when perfectly healthy children come in for a vaccination, that they aren't put at risk. On the contrary, they are being protected against potentially life-threatening illnesses. Yeah. So at this stage, we've got the children um, vaccinated against hepatitis B, tetanus, diphtheria, Pertussis, mm-hmm. Haemophilus influenza type B, polio, pneumococcal, and rotavirus. And that's got me to eight. <laughs> <laughs> rotavirus is a new one, one of the latest ones to be added to the schedule, and it's actually an oral uh, vaccination mm. at this point in time, which protects against uh, gastroenteritis, which previously did cause a lot of children to mm. be hospitalised and mm. uh, um, you know, or sometimes with severe dehydration. So that's been a great step forward. Do they still give polio off a, off a spoon? No, that's changed. Uh, in recent years, that's been changed to an injectable form, mm. and it's combined now with some of the other vaccinations at uh, uh, two, four, and six months. So they still front up with just one injection, and you combine the whole thing in one go? Not quite one. It's usually two, <laughs> uh, and the Rotorix uh, is, is an oral one at, at uh, two and four months. You're listening to Wellbeing, and I'm talking today with... Dr. Annette Carruthers and Denise Lyons, and we're talking about vaccinations for children and also for adults when the time comes. Denise, we talk about children having vaccinations, and I know that adults front up or should be fronting up and under certain circumstances for the influenza vaccine. What else should we be looking at? Well, even before we get to be adults, we, we, are, we also have to concern ourselves with adolescents who also need some oh, okay. vaccine. So your childhood and then your adolescent oh. vaccine. So at the moment in adolescence, so um, at 12 and 15 years, so at 12 years, people need to get hepatitis B and chickenpox and human papillomavirus. Now, these are normally done in a school-based program mm-hmm. administered by uh, New South Wales Health. But where people would need to see their GP would be if they missed it at school or if they've left school early for some reason. Yeah. So there's currently a program for girls who have left school and, and who have not yet reached 26, a catch-up program to cover them uh, using the Gardasil Vaccine. This is the one they have for cancer of the cervix protection? That's correct. That's right. It's protecting against human papillomavirus, mm. uh, which can ultimately cause cancer of the cervix. So you dish them out like lollies. Every opportunity we get, we immunize. You know, we talked about it before, Iris, but that's the best way to protect the community is this, you know, having high... Actually, we do have high levels of vaccination in our community, about 94%. And that's really that's good. Really it's good, about third it? in New South mm-hmm. Wales, our region, and about tenth in the country. So we're, the GPs um, and, and public health are doing really mm-hmm. well in our area on immunization. But that protects all of us, every single one of us. When mm-hmm. our neighbors are vaccinated, immunized properly, then all of us are less likely to get one of these very nasty, in most mm-hmm. instances, diseases. So that sort of brings me back to my opening statement where I was mentioning about whooping cough had Mm. reoccurred within the community. How's that come about? Well, its first reason is that it's a very, very contagious, easily spread illness. Mm. And what we know is we we do fairly well with vaccinating children, uh, but unfortunately immunity can wear off over time. So we're seeing 
more recently a lot of pertussis in uh, older teenagers and, and also adults. So the message now is that that we need to revaccinate adults to to really mm. gain greater protection. Specifically, we're saying for um, people about to become grandparents that they should really consider seeing oh, okay. their GP to have the the boosterix vaccination mm. uh, um, because that is actually protecting their their children, their their grandchildren. Mm. Um, the, we really really worry when little babies are exposed mm. to to pertussis before they've been vaccinated. Right. I've actually had the experience of uh, hearing and diagnosing a three month old with uh, mm. pertussis recently, and mm. that was really quite distressing to see the child in the paroxysms of, of cough. So it certainly reinforced my mind the importance of protection. So just to give you some mm. statistics on that, about one in 200 whooping cough patients mm. under the age of six months dies from pneumonia or brain damage. As a result of whooping, whooping cough. cough. That's right. So that's Unfortunately, do, you know, very young babies in having coughing spasms uh, uh, can become short of oxygen, mm. um, but can also have little hemorrhages in the brain, which mm. can damage them for life. I know it's a, a really severe condition. That's right, and that's that's why yeah. we emphasise the the importance yeah. of, of of being covered. But I think adults, it's not such a se- severe condition in adults, and that's why I think they unknowingly spread it. Mm. In them, it seems like a really bad cough that won't go away, whereas it can be life threatening in children. But how does it actually spread? Is it just by droplet infection? So oh, just by coughing and it being in the air. That's yeah. right. People who often have it will tell you that they just get these paroxysms of cough that they can't mm. stop. It'll often keep them awake at night, and that can lead to a lot of tired, tired, grumpy people. It, uh, it can sometimes be associated with dry reaching. So it's really quite distressing, mm. um, but it's unfortunately a lot of people don't realise that this is a bit more than a usual cold and uh, don't actually seek medical attention for it. Is there a, a time when adults should think about being revaccinated? If they get to 50 mm. and they haven't had... A, a booster now how, how it comes now the pertussis booster comes in mixed in with your mm. diphtheria and tetanus so if they've gotten to be 50 and haven't had to have a booster shot for any reason that'd be a great time to ask the gp also if you are going to see your gp because you've sustained a tetanus prone wound by mm. now by that most people would know you mean yeah. a bit dirty or yeah. don't rusty nail, the classic. Um, well, that would be a good time also to ask because you can just get a, a booster shot mm. that has diphtheria and tetanus um, and or you can purchase, because it, unfortunately it's not free yet, mm. um, the, the one that contains the whooping cough coverage mm. as well. And it's, it's probably around $40 out mm. of pocket, but that's pretty good insurance policy yeah, to protect... All mm. the people who you come into contact with when you're mm. coughing from perhaps mm. getting mm. that. Now, you mentioned about diphtheria. Is that still around? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few diseases that we immunized against that are not really around here but still exist mm. in uh, other mm. countries. Yep. Mm. Most GPs uh, now would not have seen a case of diphtheria. Mm. So that's, uh, that is a triumph for our immunization program. So if, if people were going to go uh, overseas where maybe diphtheria is a likelihood, that's when they really would benefit from having the injection? That's right. Just because we we have done very well in Australia, unfortunately many of these conditions are still far too frequent in, in countries overseas. Mm. And uh, there's also a risk that someone unwell could bring the disease into Australia, and it's also why, oh, okay. why protection yeah. is important. In fact, that's what happened with polio. 
Mm. That's what happened. The last, um, it was, you know, the incidence has mm. dramatically decreased. It still does exist in sort of the Indian subcontinent and Africa, Eastern Mediterranean. Mm. But um, in our area, mm. our region, Western Pacific, has been considered free of polio since 2000. But in 2005, 12 countries that were also previously polio-free had outbreaks from exactly that, from people coming in from other countries. And it was wild. They call it wild poliovirus. So, and that happened here in 1977 last, where we had a big outbreak of polio. So what about smallpox? Does that run on the same thing? We don't vaccinate for smallpox now unless we go overseas, do we? We don't vaccinate at all for at smallpox all. now. It's uh, almost disappeared, which is, again, a yeah. wonderful thing. Yeah, um, the the vaccination itself was a bit rigid when <laughs> when we used to front up for those. <laughs> but gee, wasn't it wasn't it worthwhile to be to be able to say that we ha- we're, we're almost confident that it's been completely mm. eradicated mm, in the wonderful. world? Isn't that a wonderful? Uh, uh, what about flu vaccinations? So now um, moving moving past mm. the um, yeah. adolescents into the yeah. adults. <laughs> but yeah. do adolescents, unless their immune system is a result of cancer or, or something similar they have their own immune system to influenza it's a matter of the cost benefit to advantage of some of these vaccinations so at the moment regular annual influenza vaccination is re- recommended for people over 65 years of age but it's also recommended for the aboriginal population mm-hmm. from 50 years and above but people who are younger with a chronic disease it is also strongly recommended that that they have the vaccination as well. So people with, for example, congenital heart disease or Mm. significant asthma uh, or childhood rheumatoid arthritis or even diabetes, they should consider whether it's appropriate for that to have an annual vaccination. What about the pneumonia thing? How often do you have that? Pneumococcal is an interesting one. We recommend that two vaccinations, five years apart, and that's all that's considered is required for lifetime protection. There, there are some special groups of people. We talked about childhood, adolescents, and adults. There also mm-hmm. are other groups of people who, I guess, uh, would be, be considered for other vaccines, and that would be um, people, like Annette mentioned, people who identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander descent. They have some other um, vaccines that would be recommended for them. Um, people without a functioning spleen, Mm. That's interesting, isn't it? You mm. wouldn't think. What is mm. <laughs> um, people who are planning pregnancy, it's a great time mm. to talk to your GP or anticipating parenthood. Um, parents or caregivers of a, of a newborn, as we talked mm. about. And also, if you live with someone who has a disease that lowers the immunity, that's mm. our, those are all groups of people who should speak to their GP about their immunizations. You mentioned about pregnancy, anti-rubella thingy sits in there somewhere. That's right. We really don't want girls who are pregnant to come across uh, rubella because of the risk of uh, congenital abnormality in their in their child. Hence the importance of the childhood vaccination program. It does protect against rubella. Very occasionally it can wear off, particularly with some of the older mums these days. Mm. We know that the average age of first pregnancy is, is increasing. Uh, so it's often useful to have a, a pregnancy planning consultation with the GP to actually discuss what might need to be done in advance. And, mm. and that can include actually checking the rubella teeter to just ensure ourselves that they're immune. Also looking at uh, whether they've had chickenpox. And, and again, if, if the, the patient doesn't think they've had chickenpox, we can check the the uh, teeters and, and advise whether it's appropriate to have a vaccination before they fall pregnant. It's very important that these girls don't fall pregnant within a close time of having yeah. had the immunisation. You're listening to Wellbeing and today I'm talking with Dr Annette Carruthers and Denise Lyons, both of whom 
work with GP Access. I'm Iris Nichols. We mentioned about four years old when they go to school or before they start school. A lot of parents, sort of in my generation, used to front up with their kids just before they started kindy and, and year one. That's not the case now. If they have it earlier, that's it's correct. All, it's they're, all over they're actually do when they turn four. And, you know, the, er, the sooner they get these immunizations, mm. the sooner they're protected from these diseases. So it's fantastic as soon as they turn four to make that appointment with the GP to get that immunization, mm. much to the dismay of the child. I guess it's important for parents to, I know it is hard for parents, but mm. to understand that they really are doing their children a favor, getting them protected against yeah. these diseases. Mm. It's, it is awful to see someone with, well, even chickenpox, measles, mm. mumps. Mm. I think parents can contribute uh, positively to preparing their child uh, for the vaccination yeah. session, if they are positive about the experience, um, but also open and honest with the children and explain to them why it's important, um, but but also are gently insisting that, uh, that this is what's going to happen, uh, it ends up a much better experience for, for everybody. Now, you mentioned, Denise, about travel. How many vaccinations do we need generally? Well, it absolutely depends on where your destination right. is and how long you'll be there. And so it's really important that if you're planning a trip overseas, that you make an appointment to see your GPs probably two months at least ahead of when you're you're due to leave. Put it mm. on your checklist, you know, passport, yep. airline tickets. <laughs> see my GP about my travel health because there are a number of injections that you may need depending where you're traveling to. That's right. The GPs have access to tools to, the, for information about individual countries yes. and individual regions within in countries, so they can provide that information, have a look at what the previous vaccination history of the individual is, and and recommend a schedule. Now, if someone's going to Europe but are stopping off, say at Bangkok or Singapore, would they need to have vaccination to tide them over that layover time? That's Just a great example. Now, in if, an overnight stay in uh, metropolitan. Um, you know, Bangkok mm. or, or, or Singapore is is absolute, does not require any specific vaccinations except for just a bit of a think about general uh, uh, you know is, is the influenza vaccine update is mm. um, you know diphtheria tetanus whooping cough up to date so it's only if you actually go to the Asian cu- countries in particular Africa? that you need to be Africa, Africa the Indian yeah. subcontinent there's South a lot America of, South yep. America there's oh, a lot right. of countries okay. in the world you, that you mm-hmm. would be surprised <laughs> that's why it's good to check and they would even if they only had were there for a couple of days or, or well, again it depends very much on on the experience whether yeah. it's urban or rural what what sort of things they're going to be doing there that mm-hmm. uh, helps us decide okay so how can people find out about these things before they get to the GP thing is there a website? There are. There's great. There are some great websites out there that are accessible to the public. One is the Centers for Disease Control. Of course, I'm a little biased coming from America, but the Centers for Disease Control website is fantastic, and you just can just Google that. And mm-hmm. another one is called Masta, M-A-S-T-A. And if you put that in your Google search box, there's a fair bit of information in there for travelers. There are conditions like, like rabies, like yellow fever that, uh, of course, aren't found here, but mm-hmm. are very serious conditions that we need to provide information about if people are traveling to countries where, where that occurs. Of interest, there's just recently been some rabies in Bali. So a lot of Australians do go to Bali mm. and uh, mm. they need to know that if they do happen to have an animal bite, that they actually should uh, discuss with a medical practitioner at the time whether they should have any um, you mm. know, post-bite uh, treatment. 
So no more cuddling of the monkeys. And dogs. And dogs. And dogs. A lot of people don't think about that. Cute little monkey. That's right. (laughs) Unfortunately, a lot of people are very blasé about travelling overseas. They Mm. they think, oh, she'll be right. I'm I'm only going uh, for a week. Uh, I I don't need to do anything about it. But I think the situation in Fiji just recently has been a great example of Mm. why it's better to be cautious. With the floods that have occurred, there's been a concern about an outbreak of typhoid. Yeah. So, in fact, the recommendation is travelling to Fiji that, that hep A and typhoid should be considered. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't take the trouble to have them mm-hmm. done. And I'm sure there's a few people who might have been very concerned over there and wished that they actually had taken that precaution. I guess that that doesn't sort of come to the fore until you get something like the floods. So should you check up anyway? That's why you should always talk about where you're going and what the standard recommendations are because the standard recommendations will cover these sorts of situations. Now, I've got a a website, www.immunise.health.gov.au. Fantastic. Um, Will that give them all the information they know? That's a great website. And that one is more... The ones I gave you before were more for travel Mm -hmm. medicine, travel health information, whereas the one that you're looking at there, which is terrific, is um, the based on the, the national immunization program. Oh, so okay. that covers your childhood immunizations, your adolescent, your normal adult yeah. series. And also lots of frequently asked questions and uh, concerns that, that people might have are answered on that website. Is there anything else we should be aware of? Just that I wanted to, I guess, make note. There is something that changed. We talked about the four-year-old immunizations before, and um, mm. parents will know about a, uh, a change to the payments. So there is a, a, something called a maternity immunization allowance that mm. up until now, now being January, the allowance was a non-income-tested one-off payment to encourage parents to immunize their children. So it's available for all children immunized between 18 and 24 months of age. Now the government just changed this payment. So from the 1st of January, changes came into effect, which will will influence the way that it's paid. So now it's going to be paid in two payments. The first payment now, it'll be split. So the first one is going to be, it's about, it's about 122 to or so. But if your child is immunized between um, 18 and 24 months, you get that first payment of 120. And then mm-hmm. you get another payment if they're immunized between four and five years of age. So for the first one, you need to have had lodged your claim before your child's second birthday. Mm -hmm. And for the second payment, you will need to have lodged your claim by their fifth birthday at the latest. While we're talking about four-year-olds, there's another recent initiative too called the the four-year-old healthy children check. That's an opportunity to for the child to be reviewed to check their fitness for learning before they go to school. It'll include measurements of vision, hearing, general development, height and weight, and, and uh, also their oral health. So it's a great time to talk about the child's weight and whether it's appropriate for their age and, and what interventions might be needed if, uh, if they're getting a little bit tubby. The GP and practice nurse will take that opportunity to, to introduce healthy lifestyle messages that will take those children well into a healthy adulthood. So three main messages mm. we're trying to get out there through this four-year-old mm. health check in relation to health, and that is to get active, get out and play, and drink water and think water first, and also to eat more fruit and veg. My guests today have been Dr. Annette Carruthers and Denise Lyons. Ladies, thank you so much for for coming in. And for our listeners, thank you for joining us. And until the next time that we meet, this is Iris Nichols saying thank you for listening.